I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts men from every nation who fears him and does what's right. Now, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And you know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, from the baptism that John preached. Look at verse 38. I'm going to emphasize and we want to focus right now on verse 38. How God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil. Because God was with him. You do know I'm going to read verse 38 again. I'm so glad to have so many young folk in the room today. And by the way, I didn't get a chance to welcome our guests and visitors. Welcome again. Thank you, Elder Hall. But I just want to second again that welcome to all of you who are not members of the City Church. I don't know if we can make it any more clear to you today, but we are so thankful. We're so appreciative. And we're just delighted that you're with us on today. We really, really are, whether you're on campus or you're online, we're thankful that you're with us. Verse 38 again. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and, and with power. Hmm. Well, I don't think anything is there by accident. It lets me know that God had a plan to anoint his son Jesus on the earth, not only with the Holy Spirit, but he also anointed him with power and how Jesus went around doing good. Uh, what does that look like? Well, healing all who were under the power of the devil. Why? Well, because God was with him. Because God was with him. If, if I don't teach any more today, that scripture alone should not only define, but it describes what the anointing is like. If, if, if we don't get into point A, B, C, D, and E, that scripture alone shows you that the anointing is more than retail. It's more than popular opinion. The anointing is something you cannot get from Google or, or, or from Amazon. But it's something that God originates. Something that comes from heaven. And it comes with a price. It, it, it comes with a presence. And it didn't just come for status quo. It didn't come to be static. But it came to be progressive. So if God gave an anointing to Jesus, he expects Jesus to do something with it. Let me say it this way. If God gives you an anointing, he expects you to do something with it. Now, again, you're not saying amen. That may, that may kind of send a message to me that you're still in this whole preaching, singing mindset. Because that's what the church has done for us. It has pigeonholed us and cherry-picked us into this, this mindset that the anointing is just for Sundays. The anointing is just for the four walls of the church. Well, I wonder how that's working now after this two years of pandemic. I wonder how that's working for a lot of our bishops and apostles and missionaries and pastors. Because last I checked, Facebook was of the devil. Facebook and Instagram and social media, that's the devil. Now every bishop who said that has a Facebook account now. And they, they're not even maximizing it. The only thing they got good is their cash app address on the Facebook channel. And that's even spelled uh, the wrong way. 
So the anointing, it's got to be more than Sundays. It has to be more than the four walls of the church. And we're experiencing that right now in this world. Don't think that this pandemic surprised God. It may have surprised you. It surprised me. How many of y'all have gone, and I know I'm kind of on the whole social media thing today, but how many of y'all kind of just see it just so, just so ironic and interesting when you look at the whole, you know how Facebook brings up the whole memory thing where you was this time last year, two years ago, five years ago? Isn't it amazing how you, I don't know about you, but every time I see the whole two-year thing ago, I'm like, man, two years ago, February the 8th, two years ago, February the 15th, two years ago, it's like, wow, who would have thought? Who would have thought our world would be what it is now? Two years ago. My oldest son was on a fast track to the NFL. I mean a fast track. He, had, he was having a season in the XFL that was just five games in, top of the stats. I mean, a few more games, and it was just instant in. Instant in. Last year, he's, he's, he gets a call from the Panthers, and they said, listen, we want to bring you in. We got one requirement. You got to run a fourth. A four, a four, four, five. He does that with roller skates on. Pulls the hamstring a week before the, the, the invite. And you know, unlike the church, there ain't no second chance, third chance, or fourth chance. <laughs> it's, it's next man up. All these things have been so just, wow. What gives? And you've had so many things that have been just so upside down, topsy-turvy in these last two years. But here's what I've been sharing as of lately. I want to get back on topic, talk, target here. But I think most of you all would agree with this next statement. The pandemic has been a very, very interesting divider. Not neutralizer, divider. It has been feast or famine for a lot of people in this pandemic. People who have struggled have struggled big. But there's been some folk in this pandemic who've actually done really, really, really well. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment. You all probably know some people who struggle. I mean, this thing's been hard on them in every sense of the word. But you also know some people seem like, my God, the, the, this pandemic was good for their business or it was good for their profession or it was good for their family. This pandemic did not surprise or catch God off guard and I say all that to say this maybe he uses this pandemic to push the church outside of his comfort zones of the anointing being for a handful of select people on a select day in a select place everybody okay so far Let's get started. So, so I, I, I want to I move on to this just for a few moments. Let me give you just a real quick background of Acts chapter 10. I love Acts chapter 10. It's a very complex chapter. Won't be able to dig and dive into all of it. But just a little bit of background on Acts chapter 10. But, but I need you to work with me. Just, just work with me, okay? Because again, I'm taking some temperature as I preach. So, so just come on, say with me one more time. Say the anointing makes the difference. Come on, say with me. The anointing is the difference. All right, I'm not trying to belittle you. I'm not trying to be condescending by any means. But as, as Elder Hall said earlier, I want this thing to get in your spirit. When you get up early this week, early in the morning, before the sun comes up, and you're praying and seeking God, I, I need you to hear the Holy Spirit remind you that my anointing will make the difference. 
I need you. You're on the treadmill. You're going for the evening walk. You're reading a, 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 a motivational book or a, a, a monot a contemplating a scripture. I need you to allow the Holy Spirit just to subtly speak a small voice that my anointing is the difference. All right? You ain't preparing no sermon. You're putting together a strategy plan for your business. You're trying to figure out a, a rebound or a rebranding or a restepping plan to get back into school. Let's go. Uh, Acts chapter 10. What, what do we know about Acts chapter 10 real quick? Three things going on. Number one, uh, we, we, we're in the house of Cornelius. Real quick, just real quick, Cornelius. Cornelius, he's a, he's a Roman centurion. He's a really high uh, uh, net worth official. Got a lot going on, but he's not saved. He's not a Christian. He's not Jewish. He's, he's a heathen at, at the end of the day. But he, the Bible says he prays, right? And he gives big offerings. And whatever, however, when, however, even though he wasn't a Christian, even though he wasn't Jewish, even though he had no religious background, he understood the power of prayer. He understood the power of giving. And God heard his prayer. God saw his giving. While God was dealing with Cornelius over here, God was way over somewhere else because he's omnipresent, dealing with Peter. He said, Peter, I need you to wake up and go hook up with this dude named Cornelius. And so God gives Peter a dream. And in this dream, Peter sees these animals coming from heaven, four-footed beasts and all these different beasts, right? And God says, rise, get up, and go eat these animals. But Peter says, God, you don't know what you're talking about because these animals are unclean, and I'm Jewish, and I'm kosher, and I've been taught in my law that we don't eat unclean things. And God said, listen, from now on, the things that I call clean, you call clean. So there's some dynamics going on in Acts chapter 10. You got the vision that God shows Peter, but then you have the voice that God gives Peter. In fact, I want to show you something. Um, let me show you something. I, 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 I wasn't going to go there, but I think there's a couple of things that stand out that might add a little bit of content to what I just said. So again, Acts 10. So... You know, you, 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 you know we, we got the giving of, of Cornelius. You got the prayers of Cornelius. He's in his home. But then God speaks to Peter. And, and verse 13, and a voice came to Peter saying, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. But Peter said, no, Lord, for I have never eaten anything uncommon or clean. And a voice spoke to him again and said, second time, what God has cleansed you must not call common. And this was done three times, and the object was taken back to heaven. So Peter wondered within himself what this vision meant. And uh, behold, men who had been sent from Cornelius made inquiry at Simon's house and stood at the gate. All right, why don't we, why don't we put this together? So Peter and his dream and vision hearing from God's self meets a man named Cornelius. They come together. And here we get to the scriptures. Peter says, you know what? I had a vision, but now I hear a voice. And I've come to realize two things. Number one, God is no, God does not show favoritism. Number two, if you live right, and if you do what's right, God will honor his word in your life. Look back at the scriptures. You'll see clearly right here in verse, <coughs> excuse me, in, 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 in verse, oh God, where am I? Okay, so, so uh, uh, I want to read Galatians, but I don't want to go there just yet because I, I want to show you something else. But Peter realizes God does not show favoritism in verse 34 and then verse 35. If you do what's right and if you live right, 
God will honor and God will bless you. Why is this important? And why is Peter such a, a, a stigma? Or why is Peter such a, a lightning rod here? Because I think there's a Peter in every one of us in the room. I, I, that's why. And you say, well, Pastor, what does that have to do with today's message? Well, let me tell you what it has to do with today's message. Peter was so steeped in prejudice. And if I can just use this word, he was self-righteous. Peter said, I'm Jewish. I, I, I'm, I'm the elect. I'm this, I'm that. Hey, it's all about me. Certainly God don't want me to be, be intermingled with these worldly people out there in the world. Let me keep this anointing to me in the church on Sundays as I sing praise and worship or as I usher or as I teach Sunday school. But certainly we're not going to get in this pandemic outside the church. I'm comfortable among my own. And that's what the church has been saying for the last 400 years in America. We are comfortable in our nice facilities, in our nice clothes, in our nice budgets, with our nice stuff, by ourselves. We don't need to roll up our sleeves and get dirty with these worldly, unclean, and common stuff. But Peter says, you know what, now I realize something. God is no respect of persons. There's been some people you've been overlooking. There's been some people You've not really been on their wavelength, or they've been on your wavelength, but this whole pandemic now is starting to cause you to speak to them and them to speak to you. There's been some folk who've not really been in your peripheral, but now you're talking, you're hanging out. Things are kind of beginning to germinate and develop. Why? Because these people are not uncommon nor unclean. God has shown you that maybe I need to minister to them with this so-called anointing that I have on Sundays, right? Uh, number two, if I live right, if I would do right, Peter says in scripture, even God will pour out his spirit on my life. Now, again, let me go back to Peter for a moment. You need to know this about Peter. Uh, what do we know about Peter already? Peter was not the sharpest knife in the draw. All right. Peter was good. He was cool. He's a great leader, but he didn't, he, he didn't come up that way. Peter had a problem with anger. Peter had a problem with cussing. Peter had a problem with temper. He was overzealous. Y'all not saying amen. He was overambitious. He was violent. He often had a rage streak. Why are y'all not saying amen while I'm preaching? I, I know we like to glorify Peter as the Pope. And, and he, he eventually became the Pope and the first bishop of the first century church. Yes. But he didn't start out that way. Just like you didn't start out that way. Just like I ain't start out that way. We all want to get there, but we still got some stuff in us that we're trying to work out. Listen, if you don't say amen, you're going to cause me to pause and stay right there for a moment and park the car. Uh, let me try that one more time. We all have some things we are still praying out and working out. Yes, Peter was one of the 12, but he still let words slip from time to time. And by the way, curse words don't slip. They're in you because you, you don't have a vocabulary to use. So you revert back to your flesh and say things you really shouldn't be saying. And I sanctify curse words, and I have them too. We all have substitute words. They're not really the word, but they sound like the word. And it gives your flesh a consciousness that you said it without feeling guilty. And like you, made it, you broke the law or something. But the reality is we just don't have the vocabulary at that moment in time. And some self-righteous folks will say, yeah, get them, Pastor, get them. Well, let me talk about you with your lying self. You can call it a white lie you want, but a lie, white, black, polka dot, a paisley, it's still a lie. Right? And so whether it's a curse, a lie, uh, 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 pay, not paying your taxes, or running a yellow light, or whatever it is, we all got something. Peter had a little temper, a little rage, over ambition. But remember now, Peter also denied Jesus. The ultimate 
the ultimate crime was he denied Jesus but we often don't think about one frailty Peter had that Paul the senior called out in Galatians in fact you don't have to turn there but Galatians 2 11 says this now when Peter had come to Antioch I withstood him to his face because he was to blame for, for, for before when certain men came in from James Peter would eat with the Gentiles but when they came, he withdrew, and then he would separate himself, fearing those who were from the circumcision. Then, the Bible says, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. Thank you, sir. So that even Barnabas was carried away with the hypocrisy. Now, we don't have to use this word often in the church. But Paul, first of all, thank you so very much. Paul, first of all, Paul says, I'm secure enough in my walk with God that I don't care if you are an elder. I don't care if you are the pastor. I don't care if you are the trustee. And I don't care if you write a check for $20,000 a month in the church budget. You are wrong in two left shoes. So Paul says, I withstood him to his face. I didn't get on Instagram. I didn't call him out on Facebook. I didn't get no little fake prayer circle. I didn't go around his back. I just called him front and center and said, listen, you are playing the hypocrite. Now, how is it when certain folk from this side of the town comes to, to, to the dinner table, you won't go hang out with them. But when other people come to the table, you won't act like you don't know what get two faces. And now you won't come over here and act like you're all brand new and, and, and you get phony on her. You know what? That's not the Lord and that's not pleasing to Christ. And so I'm going to call you out and say enough is enough. You see how quiet y'all are right now? I can only imagine that's how the crowd, the crowd was when Paul called Peter out in public in front of everybody else. I wonder what would happen if the church got back to church discipline like it was back in them days there'd be a lot there'd be a lot less backbiting there'd be a lot less rumors and gossips there'd be a lot less drama and issues in the church so the hypocrisy that Paul calls out in Galatians obviously was the same hypocrisy that Peter was struggling with at Cornelius's house he said I am a Jew I'm pure it's all about me and God says time out with this stuff now, for the third time, quit acting like a child. If I'm calling it clean, it's clean. And Peter said, now, I realize whatever God say, I'm going to do. And sometimes we got to get bumped on the head. Sometimes the rug has to be swept from under our feet. Sometimes we get a little bit too new success. Get a little bit too much. Ain't got good money for a good month's good. Yeah, and already you somebody different. Got a little title, a little new position, a little little bit of money, and I can't nobody tell you nothing. God says, you know what? Mm -mm -mm -mm. Nah, you're not ready yet. Yeah, nah, I thought you were. Nah, you're not ready yet. So he has to put you back down on Humble Street again. So he was a hypocrite. Let me get on four. I got to move on. I kind of got carried away on that one. Let's go back to Acts chapter 10. So Peter begins to speak and he says, now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every man and every nation who fears him and who does right, right, who does what is right. Number one, God shows no favoritism. Number two, if you do what's right, if you live right, God will bless you. But here's number three. Here's the third thought Peter comes up with. Number three, the Holy Spirit indwelling is not the same as the Holy Spirit empowering. And, I, and I'm struggling with how deep I want to go with this. And, and again, I'm taking the post right now because if you're with me, I'll go a little deeper. I'm, I got my eye on the time, but then, then again, it's really 
nowhere else we should be on Sunday morning other than church. I don't know why you're pressuring me to preach fast and get out of the way because the movie you just watched was three hours long and the Super Bowl was uh, about four and a half hours long and then you stayed up for another hour and a half and watched the celebration and you didn't move during the halftime show uh, when old girl fell out on the floor with her heavy cell and a uh, dress size that was too tight, two sizes, too small. And, and we're all right with Mary J. Blige, but sister, somebody should have helped you put something else better on than that. You're not Beyonce, and uh, you're not, uh, I know you want to be, but I'm just trying to say, I'm just, I'm, I know I'm meddling, I probably shouldn't be saying all that. I'm just trying to say, and uh, 50 cent now, it looks like he's about 80 cent now. Uh, and, but I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Uh, you know, well, y'all pray for me. I, I don't know why I get distracted. If you would pray for me, I'd stay on target, but y'all don't pray, and then I get deviated and distracted when I'm teaching and preaching. So where was I at? So uh, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, so Peter says, wait a minute. This anointing, it comes from the Holy Spirit. But I don't want you to think that the Holy Spirit is just something that you can pick up on your way out to church when you pass the communion table. I know that you received a Holy Spirit when you got saved. Yes, a holiness or something holy came inside of you when you came out of darkness into the marvelous light. But Peter wants you to know this anointing thing is a little different animal than what we might think. And so, so I want to just take a real quick minute and let me just let me teach as if we were in a Tuesday night class. In fact, I'll probably never be as great as Pastor Marion is in teaching in her expository. And I'm telling you all guys, if you're missing Thursday night teaching and Thursday night Bible, we're, we're, we, the last conversation we had was let's take this Bible study and take it back to the Bible college experience. Let's just go ahead and get all the certifications, all the accreditations, let's do what we gotta do because this stuff is too good, too rich, too powerful, too resourceful just to call it Bible study. Let's make it back a Bible college and what it used to really be in the first place. And so guys, get ready. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Now, now, with that being said, uh, you do realize that there's a difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be indwelled, right, without being outpoured. Let me give an example. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, how far do I want to go with this? In the Old Testament, there was an indwelling of not everybody, but some people had an indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Joshua had it in chapter 27, excuse me, number 27. David obviously had it, uh, 1 Samuel 16. You remember Samson? Y'all remember Samson put the head in the lap of Delilah? But Samson, the Bible says, had a Holy Spirit on him in Judges 14. I like what the Bible says about 1 Samuel 16 and 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. And on an end, an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. What does that tell you and I about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Number one, it was temporary. The Holy Spirit could come on a person in the Old Testament for an event or for an activity or for a feat. But it didn't necessarily mean that the Holy Spirit stayed there. Notice again, 1 Samuel 16. Saul, you all remember Saul, right? Not, not Paul, but Saul, Old Testament, the king before David. He was tall, dark, and handsome, but he was just as wicked as a junkyard dog in, in, in the back of somebody's uh, backyard. He was wicked, he was evil, but every once in a while, God would allow the spirit 
to come on him to prophesy. But then he'd get arrogant and he'd get big-headed and God said, you know what? Here we go again. Let's take the Holy Spirit off of him and let a, a demonic spirit come upon him. So that lets us know that there was an indwelling, but it wasn't permanent. It was temporary. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is indwelling in the life of a person. There was really no evidence that that person had a walk with God. In fact, wasn't it Balaam who prophesied because the Spirit came upon him? So that's really nothing new in the Old Testament. I'm saying all this because many times we often think that the Holy Spirit is a New Testament phenomenon. And that's not true. I know a lot of our Pentecostal and, and charismatic circles, we tease that the Holy Spirit kind of just woke up in the New Testament, but that's not true. Okay? The Holy Spirit was around from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit has been around as long as God has been around. Go back to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. The Bible says, let us make man in our image. Well, who is us? Well, if God said let us, he didn't say let me. He said let us. Who was he speaking to? Couldn't have been speaking to Adam. Adam wasn't made. Eve wasn't made. Couldn't have been speaking to Abraham or Moses or Noah. He was speaking to the Holy Spirit. He was speaking to Jesus. Let us. And he sends the Ruach. The Ruach, I can't roll my tongue like my Hebrew friends can, but the Ruach of God. He sends the breath of God out and it hovers over the earth. So the Holy Spirit not only was existing, but he was working even from the beginning. Didn't David not say, Lord, whatever you do, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Why? Because David knew that the Holy Spirit was not permanent. He wasn't resident. I can worship the Lord. I can write the Psalms. I can fight against the giants. I can do some great things. But boy, if I backslide and do some stupid stuff that I ain't supposed to be doing, the Holy Spirit will not be there with me. Because I'm not sure if the Holy Ghost is with him when he's seen Bathsheba. I, I just have a hard time. You all know I traveled to Israel a great deal. And I know I'm deviating again. But when you go to Israel, I've been to Israel, what, 23, 20, 22, 23 times. And when you go to Israel, in fact, UNCC has an office. UNCC, University of Charlotte, North Carolina. University of North Carolina, Charlotte. They literally have an office complex about a quarter of a mile within walking distance from what's called the City of David. So when you go to the city of David, which is right outside this, the, 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 what was called the old city of Jerusalem, the city of David 20 years ago was not excavated. So the joy of going over the last 20 some odd years is, when my wife, first and I, when my wife and I first went to Israel with Gordon Conwell Seminary, what, 22, 23 years ago, there was no city, of, there, we didn't see the city of David because it hadn't been excavated. So within the last 10 years or so, the city of David, the old city of David in the Old Testament, it has now been excavated. So to the point his palace, has now been authenticated that this was David's palace. So, so, so in the back of the palace, you can go out like, like where his bedroom would have been, and just like I'm standing in the bedroom with the steps, you can see the whole panoramic view of the city, which is lower. So now it makes sense how David could have got up out of his bed in the morning and stretched, Redmond, stay with me now, and stretched. Come on, stretch. Yeah, stretch. Right, stay with me. And then he go out in his backyard, and, and he looks, oh, the air and the birds, oh, the smell of the wind. And who's that black woman with no clothes on taking a bath? Because it really wasn't her fault. She, it, these are flat houses. It's not roofs and steeples and A-frames. These are flat houses with flat roofs. So it would not have been uncommon, right, for her to be on the roof taking a bath. 
That was common in those days. But it would have been across the valley on the other side. But apparently, she must have had some curves for him to see from a distance. And I don't know what the Holy Spirit was. Am I, am I too much? Is, is this too much? If it is, I'll, I'll, I'll go back. I'm just saying the Holy Spirit must not have been permanent. Because had the Holy Spirit been there when David was writing all these psalms, thy presence is with me, and I embrace thee, and the Lord is my shepherd, and I said, had, 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 had he been writing them psalms then, he wouldn't have looked and took his glasses off and put them back on and say, and the, you know how the glasses turn around, and like on the exits, the head turn all the way around, I said, good Lord, have mercy, let me look again. And uh, whose wife is that? That's, that's, that's uh, uh, so-and-so's wife. I got to have that. Where's the Holy Spirit at? But you know what the reality is? That's how we treat the Holy Spirit even now. We want them on Sundays. You know why? Because the anointing is like that old-fashioned light bulb that's hanging from the ceiling with the string. Click, click on Sundays. It's Monday. Let's go back to work. Click, click. We'll see you next Sunday, Holy Ghost. Click, click. Thursday night, we got Bible study. Holy Ghost time. Anointing time. Click, click. See you later. Let me get back on target. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? Remember Joel chapter 2. Afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Well, those days didn't take that much longer because it comes to fulfillment in Acts chapter 2 in the New Testament. Because you all know the story, right? Now we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and here we have the fulfillment of what Joel saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years prior. So now the Holy Spirit is not just going to be an indwelling it's going to be an outpouring. We find that in Acts chapter 2. Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared in the divided tongues of fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled, watch this, filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now again, wasn't nothing new. Acts chapter 1 and 8 reminded them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, watch this, watch this, comes up and now on you. See, in the Old Testament, they had the Holy Spirit in them. Now, New Testament, they will have the power of the Holy Spirit on them. You know, Benny Hinn said something many, many years ago. I didn't appreciate it then, but I can appreciate it now more than ever before. He said, there's a Holy, there's a Holy Spirit anointing on me, and there's also an anointing in me. He said that if the Holy Spirit in me doesn't keep me, the Holy Spirit on me will crush me. And I've, I've known that, I've, I've had that quote for many, many years. But I, recently, I really took that quote and I really began to massage it. And I began to say to myself, after life experience, now I know what that means. Sometimes as musicians, as entertainers, as preachers, we are gifted. The Bible says that the gifts and callings are without repentance. So we can be so anointed, so gifted, and we can't deny it. I hate to use R. Kelly as an example, but the Negro can just flat out sing. He's flat out gifted. He was anointed to sing, anointed to write. But demons, darkness, issues flooded his world. Now, 
did he lose the gift of writing? Think about Whitney Houston. Gifted, anointed. You can't say the chick wasn't anointed to sing and to perform. But inside, she struggled with demons. And the gifts and the callings without repentance. So what are you saying? We can be anointed on the outside to perform. And this is why we confuse so many people and we confuse a generation of people. They don't get it and understand how someone can be so gifted but yet live such horrible lives, confused lives. Because there's an anointing on you and there's an anointing in you. My goal today is that you understand, activate or, or, or what else, stimulate, whatever you want to call it, that there's an anointing on your life. And that anointing is not just for Sunday morning performance. I praise the Lord for keeping me. Not on Sunday mornings, but thank you for keeping me on Friday night. Thank you for keeping my marriage. Not on Sundays at the retreat, but God, thank you for keeping us when there's no money in the bank. Thank you for keeping us when our kids are going different directions. Thank you for keeping us when we don't see eye to eye. We want to thank God for keeping us when we are the clean board of health. Clean as a board of health and we've got a wonderful health report. But God, thank you for keeping me when I don't understand this virtual visit with the doctor and all that they're saying. Because the anointing not only makes the difference, it is a difference. Guys, I got seven minutes left. Let me take these next seven minutes and find a way to finish up this part one. We'll pick it up next week with part two. So, the anointing. What does it mean? The word anointing means to smear, to rub, to consecrate. You see it in the Old Testament with David, when Samuel comes on the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You remember the story, the seven brothers, Abinadab, Eliab, and all the other brothers. But David's out back somewhere. He's ugly. He's young. He's short, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Samuel says, I won't sit down until you bring in this other brother that Jesse kind of overlooked, right? And that's a whole other dynamic in itself. That's a whole other message in itself. But, uh, you know... <sighs> No, I can't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't do it. I could, I could, I could go there with that one, but that's, that's another time and space. But why did Jesse overlook David? I mean, one who God said was the apple of my eye. God said he was a man after my own heart. The one who ultimately would kill Goliath and bring victory to Israel. The one who the Bible says in Psalm, I think it's 75, that David served the Lord and fulfilled his purposes and then fell asleep and died. Why did dad Overlook his son. Why did David write in my mother's womb? I was shaping in iniquity. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but there are commentators and there are scholars who suggest that old boy David wasn't a Jesse, wasn't David's father. You'd have to talk about that on a Thursday night. In fact, go ahead and make that a, I, I, I bet you your numbers are sore that night. I can tell you that right now. That's a whole other message. But if you go back and look at the writings of David, he always has this issue with, first of all, when do you hear him talk about his mother in the Psalms? When do you hear David write about his mother? You don't read it. You don't hear it. The only, thing I, the only verse I can think of is when he says, when my mother and father forsake me. And even then, I'm not even sure that's accredited to him. Could be another psalmist who wrote that. But the point I'm making is this. He had 
complexity? There was an anointing on him. But I'm so glad to say that David somehow found a way to end the rest of his life with the anointing in him. And that's what we should all strive to do. My time is up. I, I, I want to take another five or six minutes, but my time is up. I think this is the point. I probably should close. Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand to your feet? I, I, I have so much more I want to share. I, I, I really do. Um, I hadn't even gotten, hadn't even gotten to the definition good yet. When I met, I, when I met with our deacons yesterday in our Zoom, then I met with the elders on the Zoom. Um, we, we, we looked at Acts chapter 20. And Paul said, in so many words, Paul said, I'm paraphrasing, but in so many words, Paul said, but what does all this matter to me? This, that's what he said. What does all this matter to me? He said, my goal is to finish the race with joy. And in my study Bible, this is, this is my preaching Bible, but I got a study Bible at home. I wrote in blue ink, God, I want to finish my race with joy. Because brothers and sisters, let me tell you something right now. That sounds so easy. That sounds so effortless. But let me tell you something right now. That ain't easy to do. That's not easy to do. I want to finish my life. I want to finish my, in fact, Paul says, I want to finish my race with joy. But then he says, I want to fulfill the ministry that God gave me. And I want to close this conversation, this preaching dialogue or monologue, what do you want to call it? With, with this. When I look back at David, when I look at the anointing, I don't want you to be deceived that it's all about your works, what you did, what you do. You remember, remember when Jesus said, remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, we've prophesied in thy name. We've cast out devils in your name. We've done mighty works in your name. You remember what the response from Jesus was? He said, wait a minute, time out. When did you prophesy in my name? When did you do these great works in my name? When did you uh, uh, cast out devils in my name? He, he, he said, all those things you may have done, but, but I never knew you. And see, me, to me, that sounds like the anointing. It sounds like you, you were anointed to do some really, really great things for the community, great things for the church. You did some really, really, really great things for people, but you didn't have an anointing in you to keep you, keep you focused, faithful, committed to the Lord. Because the anointing is more than just playing defense. The anointing is there to help you when you pray, when you read, when you study, when you witness, when you love, when you show kindness, when you're forbearing, when you're patient. The anointing comes through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gets involved. He, he reminds you to be kind to people, to be patient, to be forgiving. Because I think sometimes when we think about the anointing, we just think about, you know, how not to do this, how not to do that, how not to go here. But the anointing also is the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear about giving, about sharing, about going the distance. And I think sometimes we forget that. And so whether it's David in the Old Testament or Paul in the New Testament, he goes on to say, 
I really want to just finish this thing off with joy. Most of us in this room have lived longer than we're going to live. And we're now on the other side. And as I shared with, uh, I think I shared with my sons earlier this week, I said, you know, you, you may not know this, but, no, I'm sorry, I was sharing with some of the men. I said, have you noticed how the older you get, the faster time expires? The faster the year goes, the faster the month goes, the faster the week goes. Time waits on no man. I pray that today you understand the value of the anointing. Not only in your life, but there's an anointing on your life. And I know I've used that word interchangeably for the last 20 minutes or so. But I think you understand the gist of the message. Do not be performance only. Do not be works only. But take this thing home Monday through Fridays and all day Saturdays and all day Sundays. Um, get back to a place where it's not just about what people can see. It's about who you are when you're all by yourself. Because we all can wear the mask that grin and lie. We all have been in church long enough to know how to fake it until you make it. But when you're by yourself and when you're at home or when you're on the road or whatever you do for a living, I needed you to know that the anointing works on Mondays just like it works on Sundays. And if I don't say anything else before I pray with you, that the anointing, it works at Bank of America just like it works at the local church. It works in politics, in media, it works in sports, in entertainment, it works in small businesses and corporations, it works in, 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 in liberal arts, in schools and universities, whether you're the professor or the student, you got me? Whether you're the judge or the defendant, the anointing will work there, just like it works in the pulpit. You got me? You understand that? It's not just for the preachers and the praise leaders. You, my brothers and sisters, you're anointed for this. And then my, 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 my whole prayer this week was, God, I want these people to go home saying all week long, I'm anointed for this. I'm anointed for this. I got a serious challenge, but you know what? I'm anointed for this. I got this obstacle coming up with this strategy plan, but you know what? I'm anointed for this. I'm dealing with some issues with my child, I'm a grandchild, and I don't know quite, quite what a term, but you know what? I'm anointed for this. Whatever it is you're facing, whatever the obstacle, the challenge, you're anointed for this. And you need to know that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's nothing, there is no temptation common to man. So in other words, whatever you're facing, God already knew. And he has given you every wisdom, every strategy, every revelation. He's given you his glorious presence and power to handle whatever it is you're dealing with. It's called the anointing. One last time before we pray, come on, say with me, the anointing not only makes the difference. You know what? Come on, put your preacher voice on. Say it with me. Say the anointing not only makes the difference. Come on, say the anointing is the difference. Come on, one more time. The anointing is the difference. Would you just look at somebody and say, neighbor, someone look at somebody and say, neighbor, you're anointed for this. Yeah. Yeah, you're anointed for this. You're anointed for this. You're anointed for this. I believe it. 
you're anointed for this next level you're anointed for this window of opportunity not by power not by might but the doors that God is opening don't even worry about it he's already anointed you for it you're gonna be just fine you're gonna be just fine because he, he, he puts his oil he puts his presence he puts his stamp of approval he puts his glory all in the mix it's not gonna be about your credit score it's not going to be about your certifications. It's not going to be about your tenure. It's not going to be about your zip code. It ain't going to be about no colors and no, no fraternity and no sorority. It's going to be his anointing that opens doors that no man can open. It's going to be the anointing of God that sustains you and keeps you when everybody else is buckling at the knees. May I remind every one of you, it doesn't make you better than other people. It just kind of makes you better at doing what you already are doing into that anointing and trust the Lord with all thine heart lean not to your own understanding but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your past heads about and eyes are closed heads about and eyes are closed father this morning thank you for Jesus thank you that you gave us your only begotten son Jesus to die for the sins of the world and not only that God but you made him king of kings and lord of lords while he was yet on the earth you gave him a crown and glory. Father, you blessed and you rose him up three days from the grave. And Father, you anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power. So that so he would go about doing good. Casting out devils and healing all who are oppressed. Father, we thank you for the anointing on our lives today. Anointing for our homes. Anointing for our marriages. Anointing for our, our parenting our families thank you for the anointing and our strategies with business and small groups and thank you for the anointing on our jobs father for those in the room that are in school thank you for the anointing for academics and and, and, the, the, and studying thank you for the anointing for those that that are climbing up the corporate ladder that God you would so bless and so give them wisdom and revelation as you did with Daniel wasn't because of anything but the fact that he had a walk with you that you would reveal things to him you took an Elisha in the Old Testament and you would speak to his ears so to the point that the king of Syria would wonder in his bedroom who in the world is telling this man all of the things that gives Israel the victory so father we thank you for revelation we thank you for the advantage and we thank you for the Holy Spirit come on while those hands are lifted to the Lord just begin to thank God even right now for the anointing <laughs>